Praise God. It's good to be together in God's house on this beautiful Sunday that we have. I always enjoy it when the morning starts out a little bit cooler with some of that cloud cover. Uh, it gives us a little bit of reprieve, right? Um, and so this morning, we're going to continue in the series that we have started going through our missional values at Mission Ebenezer Family Church. There are three words that uh, capture the essence of what we feel God has called us to do. Um, we were talking about the first word recently uh, and went through that for a few weeks, and today we are moving into the next word. Can anybody tell me what those three words, those values that are essential to who we are, can anybody say what those are? Okay, restore, equip, and send. Let's try that one more time. The first one is restore. Second one, equip. And the third one is to send. So today we're talking about equip, and we're moving into that, uh, that next theme and thinking about what it means to be equipped and why it is that we should be equipped as we think about the calling that God has placed on this church as a whole, but also as individuals part of this church. Um, so we focused a bit on restore, and we unpacked the importance of how God is in the process of, through worship and prayer and fellowship, bringing restoration to our lives. If you have experienced the restoration of your life through Jesus Christ, let me hear you shout amen this morning. Right, And so we, we can testify. Oftentimes our testimonies are filled with stories of restoration, right? I was this and now I am that. I went through this, but God has got me through that. Um, I, I used to feel defeated and now, by the grace of God, I am undefeated in Jesus Christ, right? I, I used to not have power and strength and now I have the strength of God in my life and in my heart. And I no longer go through battles on my own, but I know that I have a God who is faithful, a God who can heal, a God who can restore, uh, as we sang just a moment ago, a God who has moved mountains in our lives, who has done the impossible, right? When, when somebody said, there's no way for you, all of a sudden God says, wait, 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 don't make that decision just yet, because if it seems impossible, we serve a God who can do impossible things, right? So this value of restoration is so important and critical because it's that, I would say, that first step toward unlocking a new relationship with the living God, with the creator of the universe, right, who uh, doesn't just want us to go about our lives kind of limping along from one day to the next, thinking that we are just completely defeated by the issues and stresses and burdens of life. God wants you and I to both know, to all know, that we live according to resurrection power and not according to our own physical limitations and human strength. So this restoration value is that thing that wakes us up. So turn to somebody next to you and say, wake up. Right? And so when we think about this value of restore, what we're saying is, by the grace of God, not due to any, even the amazing pastoral staff that you saw here earlier, right, and our families, as, as, and, and as I walked down and looked at each and every single one of them, I would completely agree with uh, Brother David and Sister Lydia that we have a phenomenal pastoral team. Phenomenal pastoral team. And in all humility, I would say is the restoration of the church has very little, very little to the folks who are up here in the front row and everything to do with the power of God at work in this community, right? He's a God who heals, right? We're, we're kind of like the one that comes out into the waiting room with a clipboard like, all right, you ready? Who's next? Come on in because the doctor's waiting for you, right? And, and so this restoration value is so significant for us to continue thinking through. 
Um, so today we're going we're gonna to transition and continue to discuss this next value, which is the value of equip. Before I move into that and begin to look at a few scriptures that are instructive to us with regard to what it means to be equipped and why we should be equipped, right? And, and what does being equipped do in our lives? Before we get there, I do want to make a quick uh, pastoral remark and mention of something that's taking place in our world. We all recognize that our world seems really big, but it's actually really small. Um, and if you ha have paid attention to the news, you might have seen that there is conflict, a significant conflict, conflict in Israel that we haven't seen uh, in decades. And, uh, and in fact, hundreds of Israelis who have been killed by bombings uh, from Hamas, which is uh, the, the Palestinian group, uh, which is based out of the Gaza Strip. And, uh, and so we see conflict that's taking place, and not only that, but a retaliatory attack from Israel back toward, uh, back toward these Palestinian regions in the Gaza Strip. And so I make mention of this simply to say, I know that when we come to our, our church together to worship, we recognize that our Christian faith is very much rooted and connected to deep, uh, deep connections in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, meaning uh, that, that if it wasn't for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament, then we wouldn't have Jesus, our Savior. And Jesus essentially wasn't trying to be Christian, as Pastor Isaac shared in a sermon recently, but Jesus was trying to be a good Jew, right? Um, and, and as a result, we have been invited and we have been grafted in, as many of us in here, there might be a few Jews, ethnic Jews here in the, in the audience today, but the majority of us come into this space as Gentiles, as those who have been invited in by the gracious gift of Jesus Christ who shed his blood, not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. And so I share this simply to say, as we look at the conflict that's taking place in Israel currently, we want to pray, okay? We need to pray. And, and if anything, what we, you know, some people might say we need to pray that all these, you know, terrorists are taken out so that they no longer send missiles and rockets. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, as people of God, as those who follow Jesus Christ, who's the savior of the world, by the way, not just of a particular ethnic group, uh, we need to recognize that uh, regardless of, uh, of why the conflict is happening and how long the conflict will go on, we recognize that oftentimes innocent children and women, uh, whether they be within uh, Israel or whether they be in the Gaza Strip or anywhere that they may be, are currently in danger and losing their lives as a result of this conflict. And so I would say, yes, let's pray for the protection of Israel and also let's pray for peace. Because I don't care what color somebody's skin is, whether they speak Arabic or, or, or whether they speak Hebrew, they're all people that God has made. And so we don't want to be the kind of church that, uh, that treats others just because they might not be Jew or Christian as if they're not worth living. Uh, Jesus doesn't teach us to live that way. And so we want to pray for... The people of Israel, we want to pray for the nation of Israel. We want to pray for wisdom, for their leadership. And we also want to pray that this conflict ends soon um, and quickly so that uh, uh, little kids who are, you know, five years old, same age as my kids, don't have to be running around in their community in Bethlehem or in Gaza worried about a rocket coming their way. Or similarly, running around in Jerusalem or the neighboring communities worried about whether or not something's going to get through the Iron Dome defense missile system. Uh, they don't need to be living their lives that way. They need to be playing soccer, right? They need to be going to school. They need to be worshiping on the Sabbath. Uh, they, they need to be in a space where they can ex expect uh, that God's provision and protection. And so uh, let's be praying uh, just for the entire situation that the Lord would bring about a peaceful resolution to this issue. Amen? Amen. 
uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to follow the Lord in that. Amen? Okay. Um, so let me then move us toward this value of equip. Everybody say equip. Equip. Okay, it reminds me, I was thinking about what's a story that I could share that isn't a sports story because I always share sports stories. So, uh, so I thought of another story, and it's an extreme sports story. So there you go. Uh, it, it doesn't have to do with football this time. Uh, but um, I was up visiting, speaking of Washington, Dave in, in Seattle a few years ago, and, uh, and we all decided to go down to uh, an area in southern Washington where they had uh, a river with uh, rapids, with significant like white water rapids. And, uh, and so we're talking and thinking, all right, what can we do with these few days? It was around Father's Day weekend, and we said, you know, let's go white water rafting. Raise your hand if you've ever been whitewater rafting before. I'm not, I'm not talking about boogie boarding down the L.A. River after it rains, okay? So we, we went uh, whitewater rafting, and so I'm, I'm excited. I got up in the morning. You know, we were like, yeah, we got to get there early because, you know, it's just the, it's the best time of the day. It's like an all-day thing, and we're going to be out there. So, we're, you know, we're supposed to be up at like uh, at 5 a.m., meeting downstairs and heading out toward the, the rapids together. I was so excited about this. I got up at like 3, right, and I'm just like ready. I'm amped. I'm downstairs. Let's do this. And we get there, and I just can't wait to jump in a raft and get in the water and start going down the river, right? But I get there, and the first thing they do is, all right, hold on. First, you guys got to stand in this line. Like, what's this line for? It's the waiver. You got to sign a waiver. So then you wait in a line of like 20 people at 5 a.m. to sign a waiver, right? And so you finally get to the point where, and everything, of course, is on an iPad, so I'm reading through the thing, and, and at first it says, you know, you know that if you sign up for this experience, you could die, right? Um, and it's like, okay. And then, and then the next line is like, and if you don't die, you could potentially like lose a limb, um, you know, and then, and then after they give you all these warning signs, or if you don't lose a limb, you could fall in the water. And if you accidentally drink it, you might get bacterial like poisoning and then you could die, you know? And so I got to like click. Yes, 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 yes. Right. Uh, so that they can make sure that there's no liability and I'm not going to sue this rafting company because I end up getting injured. And so here we are clicking yes on all these death sentences, right? And then I get down to the bottom, sign my, my signature. And then after, I'm like, okay, cool. I spent, you know, 30 minutes of valuable time that I was hoping to be in whitewater raft, uh, rafting. Uh, and now, right as I'm getting ready to go, they go, okay, go into this other room. So we go into the other room, have a seat on the bench. And there's like 30 of us, and we have a seat on the bench. Now you're going to watch this 20-minute video. So they put the big screen on, and it's a video. Hey, if this happens, then you should do this. If this happens, you should do this. And then, by the way, you could die, you know, like... And so we just watch this video, and then finally we get through that video, and the next thing, I'm like, okay, now we're ready to get inside this raft and get into the river and have some fun. And they go, okay, next thing, we're going to go into another room, and we have a makeshift raft that's right there planted on the ground, and you're all going to get in it, and we're going to pretend like we're rafting for a little while. It took us an hour before we were finally getting ready to head toward the river, right? And I thought to myself, man, come on. Uh, 
Corey, I'm like, I'm an athlete, man. Put me in the raft. If I fall out, I'll swim. I'll hang on to a boulder or a branch. We'll be fine. Let's get in the water, right? But sure enough, I got to sign the liability form. I got to watch the training video. And then after the training video, right, we go outside, and they've got all these little river minions that run out toward you, right? All these high schoolers with a part-time job. And they put a helmet on me, and then they start cranking the back to make sure it fits perfectly. And they put a vest on me. Oh, that vest is too small. Put another vest on you. Okay, that one works. Wait, it doesn't buckle. Get them another vest. All right, another vest. Buckle it up. They put some booties on my feet, right? And, and a, 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 what do you call it? A wetsuit. And now, finally, that I look like, you know, a scuba diver, and I can't walk because I'm in, like, you know, a, a wetsuit and a helmet and a vest, and they give me my oar that's the perfect size for me, and I'm all fitted. Finally, they allow us to pick up the raft and start moving down toward the river. Okay, so why do I share this elaborate example of heading into the whitewater rafting? I share this example simply to say this. Oftentimes in our Christian lives, we are satisfied with the altar call, saying yes to Jesus, having salvation, quote unquote, and then that's it. We want restoration, but that's it. I don't want anything else after that. No, no equip, no send, just restore. God, I've gone through a lot of hard things, so heal me, and then once I'm healed and I know I'm going to heaven, we're good. Um, I don't want to uh, offend anyone or any movement, but I, I believe in some ways uh, part of the Billy Graham effort of evangelizing the world, what happened was we had a lot of people who said yes to Jesus but had no idea how to take the next step. A whole lot of salvation but not a whole lot of discipleship. A whole lot of healing, but not a whole lot of formation and equipping and preparation for a life of faithfulness to God. Right? It's one thing to have an emotional experience and experience the Lord wash over us and begin to do something, but that, believe it or not, that's the first step through the door. And there's a whole lot of other steps that God has for us in our lives. But too often we take that first step and we're like, great, I'm in. I made it. I'm done. I'm going to heaven. My sins have been forgiven, Right? I feel happy, thank you Jesus, And then, but I don't need to read my word. I don't need to keep going to church anymore because I already had that great. I got baptized, and man, that felt so good to get up out of the water. I don't need to spend daily time in prayer wondering what God would have for me on that day. I already did what I needed to do. Dallas Willard wrote a book, a very influential book, a few decades ago, very, very influential book that was called The Great Omission, because what he said was, what we've done is focus so much on salvation that we've completely forgot about the fact that there's another call to discipleship. The process of being formed into the image of Christ daily, over and over again. The process of not just saying, yes, I want to have my sins forgiven, but I also want to pick up my cross and follow Jesus every single day, especially when it's most inconvenient. That's the next step. The next step is a life of discipleship, a life of formation, a life where, 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 where God, through salvation, through repentance, has broken chains of bondage of sin, but the chains are broken so our hands could do something. Not just so that we could say, look it, I used to have chains. I don't have chains anymore, right? Your chains were broken for a reason. Because God has a call on your life. That's what equip is all about. Equip is essentially saying, how can you be prepared to live faithfully in light of what Jesus has already done? 
Okay? So what I want to look to this morning as a guide for our time together is a few passages in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Acts. I am simply going to reference the first part of chapter 2, then we're going to read the last part of chapter 2 and, and jump around a little bit in a few different passages as we reflect on what it means to be equipped. Why is it that we are equipped? What are we equipped to do? And so I want to reference first what took place in the first part of Acts chapter 2. Again, this is a very familiar passage for a church like ours, a Pentecostal church, because we celebrate what God did on what we call the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost is this powerful moment after the death and resurrection of Christ where the disciples of Jesus were confused. They were scared. They weren't sure what to do because their best friend, leader, follower, mentor, and teacher had just been killed on a cross in front of everybody to see. Humiliated, naked, wounded, bled, died, buried. And they didn't know what to do with their lives. They gave up their jobs. They even left their families to follow Jesus. And now all of a sudden, their Savior, their Lord, their teacher was killed on a cross. And they were scared and had no idea what to do. So Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem and wait there. Okay? Because there's a promise that I have for you. And the promise is this. You are going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit when you wait for me in Jerusalem. And so they obeyed, and they went to Jerusalem. They waited there, right? And they waited in prayers, about 120 of them that were in a second-floor room in Jerusalem as they were just saying, okay, we're just waiting here, seeing what God wants to do. And as they were in this space of prayer, this space of anticipation, this space of expectation, and, and if I'm going to be completely honest, probably this space of uncertainty and not exactly knowing what things were going to look like, it was in that space that God showed showed up in a mighty and powerful and supernatural way. Amen. Story tells us in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit fell upon them and it was like a mighty rushing wind all of a sudden came blowing through that room and they didn't even have any air conditioning. It was just a big wind that came, and then it says tongues of fire were resting over their heads, and they began to speak in tongues loudly, and then it says that out of those 120 that were gathered, most of them had come from a different region of the world to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and so uh, many of them were kind of like, their Hebrew was kind of like how my Spanish is. It's all right. But they came, most of them speaking Greek and speaking Latin and speaking all these different languages. They knew a little bit of Hebrew. But all of a sudden, in this moment, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, every single person in that room heard the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented in their language that they understood. That's a miracle of understanding. That all of a sudden, everyone could fully understand and access the gospel of Jesus Christ. Didn't matter what language you spoke. Didn't matter what color your skin was. Didn't matter how far you traveled to come for the Feast of Pentecost on that day. Every single one of them understood the good news of Jesus Christ. That we are broken sinners, far away from God, have no idea or ability how to make that space smaller. And in that moment, Jesus came and he stood in the gap and he gave his life for us and, and died on a cross. And through that sacrificial death and resurrection, all of a sudden, we no longer have to live in separation from God. But we could live in proximity and closeness and relationship with God because of the gift of Jesus Christ that he gave to us through the cross and the resurrection. 
And everyone who was in that room heard that message clearly. And guess who stood up to, under, to interpret and explain this phenomenon of what was going on? The same guy who just a few days earlier said, I don't know who Jesus is. He's not my friend. We didn't hang out together. Wait, no. You guys talk the same. Aren't you both from Galilee? You're part of that crew that hung out with Jesus, right? And he's like, "Uh uh-uh. I don't know who you're talking about. Three times he denied Jesus just a few days earlier. And now he's standing up preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter was transformed. The people were transformed in that moment. And they left that room on that day. And all of a sudden, they couldn't help but share all the things that God had been doing. And the Word of God tells us in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people came to know Jesus on that very day. That's what I call revival. Somebody say revival. So revival broke out in the first part of Acts chapter 2. It's powerful, right? There was this this mass movement that was taking place where salvation was was coming and and visiting and transforming all these different spaces. But I want to actually zoom in on the last few verses of Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, go open with me there, please. Uh, Folks in the back, we're going to look at verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is the part that we are zooming in on to refer to the word that we are calling equip. And it says this in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, And to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's the beauty of that section of Acts chapter 2. What it's telling us is this. After those 3,000 people said, I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to follow Jesus. And they gave their life to Christ on that day. It says that every single day after that, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. In other words, what they committed to was, hey, raising my hand and coming up to the front and saying that prayer wasn't enough. I need to commit to a daily lifestyle of what it means to follow Jesus. So they devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to study of the scriptures. Right? So for those of us who are kind of influenced by this notion that, you know, hey, that's just an optional thing, the bottom line is if we have been saved by the grace of God, we have been called then to live our lives in such a way that is transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. Right? I, I think I've shared this story before where a college student came to me one time and said, Pastor Cole, I really want to get to know Jesus. I just can't stand reading the word. You know, it confuses me, and, and, and I'd rather just, is there, are there other tips and tricks that you could give me as to how I can get closer to Jesus? And, and, and my, my honest response is, if you want to get to know Jesus better, you got to get to know who he was, what he did, what he said, why he said it, what it was connected to. If you really want to get to know how to do something, you got to open up the manual. And the manual is the Word of God. So it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching every day. It also says here, and they devoted themselves to fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. 
is a reason why Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. Because none of us were meant to live this life of following Jesus as individuals. We were meant to live in a community. And so they studied the word of God together and they fellowship together, right? The joy of fellowship, the joy of koinonia, the joy of being in a space with like-minded individuals who have also experienced the grace of God in their lives. The joy of hearing the testimony of a new brother or sister in Christ who recently experienced the joy of salvation and being able to share in that. Wow. Man, I, sometimes I, I know we, we have Pastor Appreciation Day, and I feel lucky. I know the Christian word for that is blessed. I'll use both. I feel lucky and blessed that whenever we have an opportunity to do a baptism ceremony, that we get to hear over and over again, why is it that you're choosing to be baptized? And we get to hear young and old say, this is what God has done in my life. And it's like in that moment, it's like for me personally, it's like another salvation experience. It's like, thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you, Lord, right? Thank you that you met this young man right here in this spot and you began to show him that there's another way. Thank you, Father, that you met this young lady who was running on very little hope and now you've restored her hope. Thank you, mighty God, that you've met this grandma or this grandpa and you've reminded her or him that you are with them no matter what battles they're facing. Thank you, God, and it's in fellowship where we get an opportunity to encourage one another and lift each other up and, 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 and uh, 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 come before God in prayer, right? Come before the Lord in prayer for one another because we're in community with one another. So it says they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? Or tortillas, doesn't matter, right? Some kind of something, Right? Notice that this passage is not for vegans. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I guess vegans can eat bread too. Um, I take it back. I take it back. I ain't going to lie. I've been trying to eat a little bit more vegan stuff. It's good for me, you know. I had a kidney stone a while back. You know what they said? They said it's because I ate too much meat. So I should take that comment back and be honest about the fact that I'm like half vegan now. I just wasn't ready to admit that, but I felt convicted in the moment, so. Uh. Food. Food. Somebody's like, man, Pastor Koba, like, I, I want to, I don't know about this ministry because I really want to get into, like, you know, the meat and, like, be fed spiritually and all that. And, and to be completely honest, when I think about it, man, there's something spiritual about sharing a meal with somebody. Right? Biblically, there was even more barriers that were being broken when people shared a meal together because oftentimes if you were a Jew, you had very specific dietary restrictions. So often what that meant is they would have special tables for different people. The Gentiles would eat at those tables, the Jews would eat at those tables, and they wouldn't mix together. And so what we see happening in the early church is all of a sudden them coming and saying, you know, these customs are actually creating more divisions than they are creating unity. And so we're going to eat at the same table with somebody even if we eat different food. We could see this kind of crossing of cultural barriers and boundaries so that God can be glorified in our unity regardless of our backgrounds. Right? And so we might not think, you know, anything about food, ha having a meal with somebody. How, how can that be a spiritual thing? It's a very spiritual thing because what happens when you share a meal with somebody? Come on, talk to me. What happens when you sit down and you have a meal with someone? 
Conversation, what else? You get to know somebody, come on, keep spitting it out. Connection, conversation, getting to know, what else? Opening up, right? You laugh together, right? Unity, you cry together, right? When you share a meal with somebody, right, you're sitting down. What you've said in that moment is, you know what, you matter to me. And right before I take a bite of this burger, I'm going to ask you a question. How you doing? And we've got an entire burger to discuss that question, which for some of us might not be a very long conversation. <laughs> Unless it's a vegan burger. <laughs> might need a little extra barbecue sauce. <laughs> but when you share a meal with somebody, what you're doing is you're allowing your lives to be intertwined. I mean, we live in a world... I can't spend too much time on this because i got to get to some other points, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll try to hit it quick, PJ, and move on to the next thing. But we live in a world where we are constantly trained to multitask thinking that we can do five things at once. And you want to know what's the first thing that we don't make space for? Someone else, including our spouses, including our kids. Man, I'm convicted of that all the time. I want to watch, I want to check that one more email and respond to that one more person and write down that one more idea that I have to make something a little better. But when's the last time I sat down with my daughter and looked her in the eye and said, how you doing, baby girl? You doing okay? How's school going? What do you need? What, what are you excited about? What, is there anything that's bothering you? What is it? Tell me why it's bothering you. I won't have that quality time if I'm too busy checking all my social media apps, watching all my favorite, you know, Dodger games and SC games. By the way, I don't want to talk about the SC game last night. Brother Michael knows what I'm talking about. Or the Dodger game last night. Whew. We're going to have to bring the worship team back up to pray for the Dodgers (laughs) and the Trojans. No, don't tell them to come up yet. Not yet, not yet. But seriously, though, like, we we think we can do a million things, and the one thing that we sacrifice is the most important thing. Right? We got to slow down, church. We got to get a little more old school. We got to put the phone away or the iPad, or the computer, or the TV, or whatever it is. We got to do it. And I'm not telling you this because I've mastered it, and, and uh, I'm up here uh, sharing, like, you know, this is the way we got to do it. I'm, I'm sharing this with you simply to say that's what we're challenging ourselves to do, right? Because we want to be better. We want to honor the Lord better in our families, right? In our relationships, in our community, and it takes intentionality. It doesn't happen accidentally. If we let it happen accidentally, we're going to let culture dictate for us the pace at which we need to live and the things that we need to pay attention to. Instead, we should say, God, what do you need me to pay attention to today? What's most important to you today, Lord? And how can I be sure that my minutes reflect those values? Right? Lord, here's my week. Instead of saying, I've already figured it out. Jesus, can you just put your stamp of approval on it so that I know that I'm living in your will this week? Instead, we come before the Lord with our calendar and say, what do you want? Where do you want me? How do you want me to show up to these different spaces? What's most important to your heart, and how can my life reflect those things? Right? It takes intentionality. Okay, so i got to move on because 
They gathered together, they, 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 they sat under teaching, they fellowshiped together, they broke bread together, they prayed together, they celebrated signs and wonders, the, all the believers were together in unity, they shared everything in common, in other words, this was a new family that had just formed. Isn't that exciting? No wonder why people were being added to their number every single day, because when you see a healthy community, you want to be part of it. Why? Because many of us understand what unhealth looks like and feels like, Right? And it don't feel good. And all of a sudden, you see an opportunity where there's a healthy space. And they're like, hey, come be part of this. Because we want you to experience the joy that we have. Right? My neighbors, right? My friends, my coworkers are going to be able to see that. And they're going to say, man, how do I get a chance to be part of that kind of community? Right? So there's no wonder that they came together. They were celebrating. It was a new family. In fact, oh, man, shoot, my time is flying. There is, uh, Brother Ray will appreciate this, there is literal evidence in Roman historiography uh, dating back to the first century where these pagan historians, non-Christian, in fact, during these times, many of them were persecuting Christians, right? And, and if you were found to be a Christian, your business would be uh, essentially uh, boycotted, and some of them were even sent to be fed to the animals or made to be gladiators and, uh, and treated in this way just because you're a Christian. And so in light of that historical reality, we have documented evidence that the, when they talked about these uh, they, they called them uh, essentially little Christs. That was the, that's the, the technical term of Christian. The real term for Christian is little Christ. So they, they were making fun of them, and they are saying, yeah, you know these little Christs? They've got all these interesting practices. Like when they do communion, they didn't really understand what communion was. When they did baptism, they didn't really understand what baptism was. But these historians happen to say, but the one thing that they do is they called each other brother and sister. Isn't that cool? 2,000 years ago, historical evidence that they were being known for the fact that they treat each other like family. That's awesome. And that's coming from a non-Christian source that we're saying, hey, we don't know all that they believe, but what we can say is they treat each other like family. That's powerful. Okay. They met together in the temple courts. They shared meals in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Okay, so let me then now jump to a few critical points with regard to how we can take next steps about being equipped in our lives to live for Jesus, right? So the reason, going back to the analogy of the uh, whitewater rafting trip, the reason why I had to spend an hour signing documents uh, that I could die and that it wasn't going to be easy was because what they're essentially saying is not everybody wants to do this stuff. In fact, most people won't. But those who will, you should know that there are risks ahead. And because there are risks, we want to make sure we equip you with as much information and equipment that you need to be successful on your journey. Guess what? God is inviting you into a journey ahead that might not always be safe and easy. If you choose to accept that invitation. Some will choose a safe Christian life and will therefore bypass an opportunity to be used of God to be part of impacting the world for Jesus Christ. Instead, they'll choose a safe way of walking, allowing themselves to be marginally impacted by the gospel, but not fully utilized to their fullest capability in service of God's kingdom. My hope is that this church is not that. My hope is that this church says, Lord, no matter what you're calling me to, even if it hurts, send me there. 
Lord, if, it, if it's uncomfortable, teach me how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Lord, if I don't know if I have the gifts and skills to enter into that space and to make a difference there, remind me that you'll equip me with everything that I need to step out in faith and trust and know that if I'm aligned with your will, you're going to give me everything I need to be successful for your glory in whatever space that you call me to. We could choose to live a safe Christian life, or we could say, Lord, throw me into the rapids. As long as you're in the boat with me, let's do this. I don't care how big the boulders are. I don't care how high the, 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 the category of their level four, level, level, level five rapids. As long as you're in there with me, I'm in. Give me an oar. Give me a helmet. Give me a life jacket. Let's do this. Right? Some of us in here are ready for that. Others of us in here are like, you know what? I don't know. I think I'm just going to put a lawn chair on the side of the riverbank and watch all these other fools do it. Get in the river. Trust God. Don't be afraid. Don't be complacent. Don't be worried about what's ahead. Trust God. If God's calling us to it, right, then we could say, here I am, Lord. You're my guide. You're my river guide. I trust you, Jesus. So here's what we need, and I'll, I'll close with this. Brother Enoch, do you think we can have the keyboard player come on up or if you wouldn't, wouldn't mind coming up? And Here are a few things that we need to take these next steps. Again, restoration is huge. It's important. It's that starting point, right? It's that moment where we take that first step toward Jesus and we, experiencing, we experience him begin this work in us that's bringing us into a brand new life. So what, what we need is this. Number one, we need to be convinced of a need to change. Convinced of a need to change. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of God's grace, right? That's step number one. Many of us in here have taken that step. Step number two is this, a desire to change. Even beyond just like, I should ask for forgiveness of my sins, or I should go to church, or I should do X, Y, or Z, the next step is actually getting to a point where it's like, man, I want more of Jesus. Can't you hear the difference there? It's the difference between I should be a better person, or if I went to church, my mom would be really happy, right? If there's a difference between obligation and that actually turning into a volitional desire to say, I want to live my life for Jesus. I can't wait to experience more of him in my life. Oh, I want to know what it's like to get up on a Monday morning and to, get, and, and, to, and to get ready for my day and to know and I can hear Jesus talking to me saying, how you doing today? You doing all right? You ready for this? I'm with you. I know you got a big meeting coming up, but guess what? I'm going to be with you in that meeting and I've given you what you need to go into that with confidence. No matter what's going on, I'll be your strength. I'll be your rock. I'll be your wisdom, right? It's, it's one thing to have this obligation that we should change and it's another to say, Lord, I want more of you in my life third thing is this. If, if, I, if I'm convinced that there's a need and then it's turned into a desire from that point to the next point is I got to have a plan. Right? From a need to a desire to a plan. That's where this word intentional comes from. Right? We don't just kind of go through our life wondering that we might accidentally live for Jesus. Nobody accidentally lives for Jesus. It's a choice. And whenever you're making a choice about anything, right, if it matters to you, then what do you do? You build a plan, okay? If you want to buy a house, you're not just going to buy a house accidentally. It doesn't just show up, right? No. 
I got to get a down payment. How am I going to get a down payment? I got to get a job. What kind of job? This kind of job, right? And then I got to work my way there. You have a plan. The plan turns like little by little into one step after another. Next thing you know, you begin to reach. So you got to have a plan. So a need to a desire to a plan. The way that I would articulate that is set a vision, set a goal, have a plan. Right? Be intentional. Write it down. Write it down. Don't just let it be something you mumble to yourself at an altar one day. Go back, open up a journal, get a computer out, write down. What is my desire for how I want to live my life in a way that honors God? I need to make this change. I need to start doing that. I need to stop doing this. This is my plan. Right? It takes intentionality and focus. I want to be a person of integrity who models the life of Christ. I want to commit to daily Bible study, prayer, and accountability. How are my daily choices reflecting my commitments? Right? The next step after having a plan, it's, it's, it's good to have a plan. So I've got a need to change, a desire to change, and then a plan to change. Okay? The next step is I need some people around me to help me move my way through that plan. Okay, if anybody makes a plan and the only person who knows about it is you, you're really close to failing. Because then you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like it, and all of a sudden you forgot about that one page that you wrote that had all this good stuff. Because another page with other things that seem more important take over. Instead, share it. Accountability. Who's on your team and whose team are you on? Who's in your corner and whose corner are you in? Right? Support and accountability. The next step beyond that. Okay, it's good to have accountability and support, but I got to actually be willing to put in the work. Again, many of us, man, we, we come to the Lord and we're like, Lord, I'm going to pray for like five minutes hard, loud, hard. I'm going to lose my voice in this prayer. I'm going to sweat in this prayer. And God's like, that was a good five minutes, but what about the, the rest of the other 23-something hours of this day? How else are you going to, to pursue me? How else are you going to stay disciplined? How else are you going to actually do what you said you were going to do instead of falling back on that or forgetting what you even said? Discipline is the next step. That's the, the same root word of discipleship. It's where the word disciple comes from. What essentially means is I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Right? That's maturity. That's coming to the next point, okay? The next thing is as I've begun to implement and have discipline and hard work. This is coming from a sports analogy. I told you I was going to avoid it, but I can't help it. I'm sorry. When you see results toward your spiritual life because you've committed to a plan and all of a sudden now you can see your life being transformed by the plan that you've begun to implement, guess what you got to do? You got to celebrate it right? You got to celebrate it. It's so easy for us to beat ourselves up, isn't it? Oh man, I'm not a good enough this, or I didn't do enough of that, or God's really disappointed in me because of this. But when you see a little bit of growth, celebrate it. Not only that, when you see another brother or sister in Christ, and especially if they're kind of younger in their walk, and, and they might be stumbling and falling, but they keep trying to get up. Every moment they try to get up, go after them and say, I see what you're doing. You are on the right track. You keep your head up. God's got a plan for you. Don't give up, right? Keep moving forward. You're doing a great job. You're going to get there. Don't worry. God's with you, right? We need to be encouraged and celebrate those little steps toward transformation, okay? And the last step in this process that I want to leave you with as we dismiss, is evaluation. So what does that mean? That means, okay, I've done all these things. A need to change, 
a want to change, a plan to change, support to change, discipline to change, celebrating small changes, and then I got to ask myself the question regularly, how's it going? What do I need to do different? What didn't work? And what do I need to, to pay a little bit more attention to? Amen? So let me go over those one more time, and then we'll dismiss. Okay. Um, need to change, desire to change, plan to change, support and accountability toward change, discipline to implement these plans, celebration when they are going in the right direction, and evaluation, check-ins, how's it going, am I doing what I need to do, am I where I need to be or not, amen? Equip, somebody say equip, praise God.